It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, an affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. And while, yes, the rush of free agency and the busy season of the offseason has come to a slight conclusion, there's still plenty to talk about for the Pittsburgh Penguins and potentially plenty of moves left to be made. Now, I had to peel Horwat off of threads to be here. I know we're, we're I'm sitting here waiting and and Horwat's on his new social medias and trying to get the following back up every single corner of the social media landscape, but we're here and we're ready to talk Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. Horwat, are you going to join threads cuz I know you first of all peel back the curtain. I know you told me that you're not going to join threads, but have you joined any of these 18 new social media sites in the past 24 hours? No, I have not. I, honestly, it's kind of funny watching everyone jump ship. Uh, listen, if we lose Twitter, you're losing me on social media almost completely um, <laughs> because I am, I feel like an old man inside. I barely know how to use any of these social medias anymore. Like I don't have a TikTok account. I haven't touched Facebook other than for work since freshman year of college. Uh, I haven't touched Instagram in multiple years. Uh, I only use Twitter. So if Twitter goes down, you're losing me. Maybe I'll come around, but also no one will know because it's not like I'll make some big announcement about it. Um, so if you want to, if, if Twitter goes down and you want to see me and hear my voice or anything like that, listen to this podcast, read my stories. That's all I got for you. <laughs> or visit Stage AE when it's the off season for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, and then maybe I'll jump somewhere if it gains popularity. <laughs> I don't. Also, Twitter's fine. I think uh, I saw a story that uh, Elon was just straight up lying about the. Uh, view count thing it was just that he and twitter didn't pay a monthly revenue thing or something like i don't know he didn't pay Uh, and twitter's (laughs) been working fine for me ever since so yeah everyone's a little overreacting it is funny though it is interesting seeing a bunch of people just dip out um and it's not that i mean it's not that i'm a fan of elon musk either i'm not but i mean these billionaires own social medias they can do what they want oh well elon's just a little uh, it's a bit, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a power trip for him. That's all, bro. I I'd open this discussion as like a quick, like two seconds, get to know you. you're like, nah. We need to dive into my reasoning behind trusting Twitter. It's and as I'm scrolling, I see the hockey news has joined Threads. So go go follow the hockey news on Threads if you're on Threads. Um, there you go. 
Fine, there maybe I'll go. join but, Threads. We'll see how, what happens. Well, I'm on there, so you know you'll have good company. Good. <laughs> but let's talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. We talked for you know three minutes is three minutes too long on Threads, and I blame myself. I'm sorry. Okay, I, I got I I took us down a road that we shouldn't have gone down. But regardless, welcome to the off season. That's uh, fine. We're gonna talk about some goofy things over the next couple months. Between the Fourth of July and Labor Day, it's this is what off-season content tends to be sometimes but we have plenty of actual penguins content to get to on this episode the first thing i want to talk about here the pittsburgh penguins have struggled for a long time i would say since the departure of nick bonino to really find consistency for their third line center i would say since then they've had one third line center that could have been really good for them but, of course, Jared McCann was traded ahead of the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. But when you look at what Kyle Dubas has done over the past week, he's added a handful of forwards to the roster. Top six, he added Riley Smith. Bottom six, he added Nolachari. He added Matt Nieto. And he added Lars Eller. Now, Eller's the interesting one in this conversation. Do you think, even with Lars Eller, 34 years old, do you think that Kyle Dubas still needs to find an upgrade at third-line center? Honestly, yes. I just don't. I just don't know how or where, because where are you going to stick them in the stick everyone else in this lineup at that point? Um, yeah, that was one of the things that uh, I put in a story yesterday of like what's left on uh, the Penguins' offseason checklist. We when we entered the offseason, it was a long list. Right, top of the list was finding a GM slash president. We did that, and everything since then. He's been Kyle Dubas has slowly been addressing everything on the list. There were still a few things that needed to be. Um, looked at and right and you know coming out of the opening days of free agency in the draft uh, I revisited what's left and one of them was finding that legitimate third line center not that guys like Nolachari or uh, Lars Eller couldn't fill, fit the bill for now neither of them especially Nolachari he's a fourth line guy and will be but Lars Eller does not strike me or probably many as the true sure shot this guy's definitely a third line center will he play great defense Sure, if this Eric Carlson trade goes through, uh, he might be the only one playing defense on the team along with Nolachari. So it's good that we have a couple of players that are willing to play defense. Um, it's just that Lars Eller's offensive ability, it's not like he had much. I think he topped out at 38 points in his career or something like that. It's not much, but it's declined. And I... Listen, our bottom six couldn't do anything last year. They couldn't play defense, and they couldn't play offense. It's good that there's a third-line center there now that can play defense, but it would still be nice to have someone who can also play offense. Yeah. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Penguins really focused in, and I've mentioned it on basically every single show I've done since the free agency day. They've really focused in on adding defensive-minded players. I mean, I all of the guys I mentioned there add a little bit more defense than the players that were in their position this time last season. But when you look at Lars Eller, I agree with you. Yes, defensively, he's an upgrade for the Pittsburgh Penguins at third line center. Offensively, is he really a downgrade? No, but that's not really the, the classification you want to be making is, hey, at least he's not worse than what you had last season. And that was what Ryan Paling at points, Teddy Bluger at points, Jeff Carter at points. When you look at Lars Eller, he had 10 goals in 84 games last season. And like you mentioned, 30 points seems to be around the landing spot for where Lars Eller is, is going to bring you. And while, yes, at their peak, the Pittsburgh Penguins 
In 2009, you had Jordan Stahl, who was really a second-line center playing as a third-line role. Nick Bonino was not really a, a great point grabber, but again, similar to Lars Eller, really stout defensively, good on the penalty kill. So maybe that's the ceiling that you hope for with Lars Eller, but at 34 years old, I'm not sure that you see him get to the ceiling of a 2016-17 Nick Bonino, And he certainly does not fit the bill or fit the description of what Jared McCann was when he was playing third-line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's a little bit of a weird mixture. It's a new look. And then, you know, if we're comparing to, to third-line centers of Penguins past, it kind of feels like Brandon Sutter, does it not? I could, I can see that. It, that's a That's a weird jump to take, mostly just because... Um, we don't compare Brandon Sutter to many people in uh, in the grand scheme of discussing Penguins in history. It's He always kind of feels like a weird footnote. Also, I apologize if you can hear hammering going on in uh, one of the rooms over. You're good. Love that this new apartment is a lot quieter, but man, do they? does everyone always know whenever we're recording? Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, Brandon Sutter is an interesting ch- uh, selection to... I would even say Brandon Sutter, at least when he was on the Penguins, still had more of an offensive upside. And I still get what everyone's going for with Lars Eller playing a defensive role. It's just, I mean, who's going to play offense down there then? Is it all going to be top six scoring again? Because, you know, as much as we like Alex Nylander in the bottom six, he's still going to have to fight for a role, it seems. And also, Mm -hmm. can he honestly be a solid depth scorer down there. Um, flipping around at who else is in that bottom six. Drew O'Connor is going to be in there somewhere poking around with uh, a couple of points here and there. Jeff Carter, maybe he finds a step somewhere in his final year. Maybe he doesn't, though. So we don't know how much offense he's going to bring. Truly, without a scoring third-line center, who's doing the scoring down there? Because that's the issue yeah, that I'm that- running into. That's the issue, and that's why I think a lot of people are saying the Penguins still are searching for a third-line center. And let's be honest, they've been searching for a third-line center for a long time. Uh, they thought they found it in Jeff Carter for you know a year and a half, and then they extended him beyond his actual capabilities at that position. So it, the only problem is, though, like when I look at it, yes, would it be nice to get an upgrade over Lars Zeller, let Lars Zeller be the fourth-line center and bump Nolichari to a wing and bump Jeff Carter into the press box. Yeah, that's great. That would be phenomenal in theory. In practice, I'm going to stay away from the trade market for this because I don't know what the trade market is on certain third-line centers now just because we just saw a bunch of people get signed, especially bottom six, which seemed to be the majority of the free agency class this year. But look at the remaining free agents. There's a lot of veterans that you're not going to want to sign because you just brought in Lars Eller, basically, that fills that role. Derek Broussard's out there still. Paul Stastny, Derek Stefan, those names don't interest me. Uh, Tyler Mott's still available. He intrigued me as a potential fourth-line center, but the Penguins signed Nolichari, and that's that's practically signing the same exact player with a little bit of a different you know seasoning, if, if you will. And then the only real option in my eyes is Pius Suter. It, it, he's a guy that I mentioned was a, a target in my eyes, during the trade deadline this past season, he just turned 27 years old. He's played three years in the National Hockey League. He's averaged 14 and 15 goals each season. He has speed. He plays the penalty kill. And I think that he could be a solid late summer addition if nobody goes and scoops him up. Think Danton Heinen last year, whenever he was on the free agent market and he wasn't getting interest from anywhere, and he came back to the Pittsburgh Penguins on a cheap deal. If Pius Suter is still out there, 
yeah, take a swing. I, I think he's a really talented player. The problem is he's a really talented player. And this second wave of free agency, I would imagine he's one of the first guys to get scooped up. You would assume that, yeah, just because there's so few names. I mean, as a third-line center, you, Jonathan Taves, you don't want to take that swing, really. No. Uh, Pius Suter is there. Patrice Bergeron, you're not going to get him out of Boston. Also, is he going to keep playing? You're just out of center options. It's mm-hmm. It's gotten down to, you know, you're picking between fourth-liners and... Pia Suter, who, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, maybe he can absolutely cut cut it as a third-line guy. It's just we also haven't seen that yet. No one has seen, I mean, mostly because he's 27. We haven't, we just haven't been able to see what he can bring to the table in an elevated role. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, it's so interesting looking at his uh, career numbers, just scrolling through a bunch of years in Switzerland, and he's 27 and has only played three NHL seasons, and... Yeah, solid and they were with Detroit and Chicago. Yeah, and solid, solid performances with those teams, with Chicago, uh, during the weird North Division year, uh, twenty-seven points in fifty-five games, and then with two seasons with Detroit, it's he's got two hundred games under his belt, which is solid. It again, just does he strike you as an easy third line choice, which is. You know, we see all the other signings that happened. Matt Duchesne, I'll keep jumping back to. Do we, do we for one year at that number, do we think Kyle Dubas even lofted something out there toward him? Or I think, like, is Max Domi a center? Yeah. Back's that Max Domi option, now he's going to Toronto. The guy's always wanted to play in Toronto and wants to stay in Toronto but only signed a one-year deal. Okay. Um, we'll, could he have been an option? It's There's so many things up in the air of, did the Penguins have, like, did Kyle Dubas put his hat in any other rings? We'll never know. Yeah. I mean, it, to be fair, he he definitely improved the team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He improved the team with the signings that he made and the pos- And maybe a lot of his attention has just been wrapped up in trying to figure out Eric Carlson. So it, it, I'm just curious to know what... Maybe his thought process has been, and I mean, hey, if we see Lars El- Lars Eller as a standout third line center, best of luck to you, I guess. Yeah, I think the big thing that you mentioned there is it is an improvement. And at the end of the day, with the amount of holes that were needed to be filled, an improvement will take. Like I will take that because I think he made an improvement on Jason Zucker by bringing in Riley Smith. I, I think that's where I stand on that one. And I think looking at the entire bottom six. He made an improvement. I think defense, the only real change he made was signing Ryan Graves. So yes, and and, and letting Brian Dumlin walk. That There is something to that. So yes, is that improvement there? Yeah. Goaltending is the same exact duo plus a third option in Alex Ndelkovic. Did he make an improvement there? Yes. So he improved all areas of the Pittsburgh Penguins roster. Now, by how much is the question that remains to be answered. Because an improvement on last season might be in the playoffs, but might be a first-round sweep. Like, who knows how much the Penguins improved with all of these moves, but the point being, as we've seen, there are many more moves to be made, and potentially adding a third-line center, like he mentioned at his press conference on the opening day of free agency. If I can find an improvement, if I can improve this roster, I'm going to do so. I'm not going to stop looking for improvements. That's what 
Kyle Dubas, in, in, his, in his many words, basically said, uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, he practically said that, that I'm always going to look to improve this roster, so I'm never going to be done or satisfied with what I see on the NHL roster. So, yes, is he still looking for a third-line center? If one appears. Uh, do I think that there's any real options on the free agency market? I, I brought out Priya Suter, but realistically... It was slim pickings to begin with, so you can only imagine now that all of the actual names worth of any worth are already taken. There's not very much left, so it's going to be an interesting decision to see what happens the rest of the summer, how much more change there is to this Pittsburgh Penguins roster. Do I think he ends up with another third-line center? No. In my opinion, I think that, especially because of the way that he talked about Lars Eller on Saturday, I think Lars Eller is the guy that he is pegging as his third-line center entering the season. Yeah, it's going to be Lars Eller. Because like I said, if, even if he was still looking, where's everyone else going? You signed Lars Eller, you signed Nolachari, and you just, I have the list somewhere of other signings, but Matt Nieto, you have... You filled out your bottom six. You just don't have space to go and sign anyone else, and you're not going to trade one of those three that I just said already. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just not going to do that because I always say it seems pretty bad PR whenever you bring someone in or you have their new contract at the ready and immediately send them out. And that's exactly yeah. what they're going to do with Matt Nieto, Nolachari, and uh, Lars Eller. They're not going to immediately ship them off for a stud third line center. It's Lars Eller is an improvement because he'll play defense, right? We didn't get anything from our bottom six last year. And now that we're at least getting defense, it's a start. Maybe something wakes up with other players. Maybe Alex Nylander does pop off in that third line on the third line. Maybe, I mean, at this moment, he's still there. Maybe Mikhail Granlund finds some leg. You never know. Maybe other options roll around. Maybe another winger rolls around. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. We just need to see performances, but as of right now, we lack the true third-line center, but you know what? At least it is an improvement over, you know, last season's options. Mm-hmm. They've lacked a true third-line center since the Seattle expansion draft for the past two years, and even before that, they only had Jared McCann for, what, a year and a half that they actually used him as center? Uh, he was a winger when he first came here because it was Nick Bugstad who was pegged as the third-line center. So the Penguins have been really searching for consistency as a thir- at a third-line center role since Jordan Stahl left because he was 2007 to 2012 for five years, and then since then it's kind of just been an amalgamation, especially since the departure of Nick Benino after the 2017 Stanley Cup. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, you mentioned Drew O'Connor. He files for salary arbitration. We'll talk about that and a little window that it opens up coming up later in this month. We'll be back on the tip of the iceberg. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins, a proud affiliate 
of the hockey news. We mentioned Drew O'Connor before the break did file for salary arbitration. The only member of the Pittsburgh Penguins to do so. He was also, though, one of 22 players in the NHL to file for salary arbitration before yesterday's deadline. The dates will be scheduled between July 20th and August 4th for that arbitration hearing. When talking about Drew O'Connor, this is a player that I'm excited to see what he does next season. He's played three seasons for the Pittsburgh Penguins. His numbers as far as games played have doubled each and every season. He played, I believe, 11 in his first season. Then he was in the mid-20s his second season. Then he played 46 games last season, scored 11 points, 5 goals, and 6 assists, and has 17 points in 78 career games played. So when it comes to Drew O'Connor, I see a player that I would like to see him practice and play a little bit more on the penalty kill, but at five on five, he brings speed. He's one of the best four checkers on the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he's pretty stout defensively and has shown a, a little bit of a glimmer of offensive upside. Yeah, he's shown, he's shown to be able to solid, shown to be able to be a solid depth forward. Uh, not afraid to throw the body around. It hasn't been, it's not obvious, um, but there are definitely times where you can tell he's, uh, Unafraid to get into the dirty areas, use his six foot frame or six foot three frame, and you know get his nose dirty. He's, uh, we're not gonna worry too much about the points scored. We know that his offensive numbers aren't gonna be huge, but um, they're going to take another jump this year. That's for sure. J- much like his, you know, games played has doubled. Pretty has pretty much doubled each passing season. His so is his offensive ability. So. You know, he sat at 11 points this past year. If he's able to get up to the, in a full season, up to 20, you know, riding around, probably on the fourth line still, maybe third if uh, injuries arise, may get him to 20, 25. I wouldn't put him any further past that this year. Maybe next season after that. We'll see where things go. But um, he's going to be an important piece to this team going forward, both five on five and the penalty kill. It's uh, what he brings is hard to. Harder to put into words just because of how much uh, we still don't know about him, really. Mm. Because he's that young, we still don't know what he could turn out to be. He's hitting his prime years soon, so we don't expect too much more increase in certain areas. Mm. Um, But he's turned out to be a great little uh, addition for this team. Jim Rutherford signing, right? It was a, yeah, Jim Rutherford signing straight out of college, uh, played like we said, about 10 or 11 games in his first season right out of college and has just started to get a bigger role ever since. He's one of the few young players that has really endeared themselves to Mike Sullivan because everybody mentions, you know, Mike Sullivan is harder on younger players. He has high expectations for anybody that he puts out on the ice and younger players are going to make mistakes. Drew O'Connor made his fair share of mistakes and he sat for those mistakes, but he broke through this past season, played 46 games for the Penguins. And while yes, at his best, he might be a third liner at his probably peak, like probably best case scenario or the best fit for him is probably fourth line, fourth line left wing. But I, I do like the way that he plays. And I think last year it was more evident because the team around him did not play that way. He was fast. He brought some youth to the lineup. He forechecked hard. He was physical. And then he did like we saw from time to time, bring some offense, but I think this year you're going to see a lot more of the other guys that just came in. We talked about them in the first segment. You're going to see more Matt Nieto. 
you're going to see more Nolachari. And that's simply because these guys can kill penalties. And Drew O'Connor, while we have seen him play some penalty kill time, he doesn't really get a lot of penalty kill time. It's not a specialty of his. But if it would become one, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins would certainly love him that much more because he is a player that the Penguins really, really like and have liked for the past couple of seasons. My guess, and again, we'll find out eventually what his ask is, what the team's ask is, but my guess is that he wants something around the $1 to $1.15 million range. I, I think that's probably where he's asking for. According to Cap Friendly's calculators, his qualifying offer would have been around $787,000. He made $750,000 last season as a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we'll have the hard numbers in a couple of weeks, what he wants, what the team wants, and then eventually, of course, what the arbitration finds if they don't reach an agreement before then. But do you think he has the hard numbers to win in an arbitration case against the Penguins? Honestly, no, because... I mean, let's be honest, what makes the money in this game, what makes the money in this sport overall is offense, scoring, being a star. Nothing against Drew O'Connor, but he's not, like we just mentioned, he's not going to bring you a ton of offense. He's not going to bring you a ton of scoring. He's not a star. Is he a worthwhile player on this team? Absolutely. I just don't see an arbitration case netting him past a million. I mean, it, it's very well possible. I don't know how these arbitration cases go. Uh, but past a million, first of all, I don't know if I would even want to pay him that much. I mean, give me like one or two more seasons of you being this consistent. And then we'll go into those sort of conversations. But and maybe I'm being harsh on my end as well. Because, again, like I don't know the business side of this. I don't pay that much attention to the business side of this. But... Um, Past a million, I don't even know if I'd want to pay that, but it is what it is. I Regardless, I want him on this team. I'd say a million dollars is a good a good price range for him. Um, the term, I don't know how any of that will work, but it'll be, it'll be worthwhile for the team. It shouldn't be super expensive. It'll be affordable no matter what, like I said, because mm-hmm. he what pays in this league is the scoring, and he doesn't bring that. So an arbiter shouldn't look at Drew O'Connor and go, he deserves well over one-something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I look at Drew O'Connor, you mentioned scoring. That's probably the number one thing that that awards people a lot of money in arbitration cases. Also special teams, which we mentioned, he doesn't play very much special teams. And then the other thing would be underlying numbers. And he's not, I mean, how much does an arbiter actually look at that? Probably not very much, but if it's above and beyond, maybe, but Drew O'Connor's underlying numbers in, in, analytical numbers are not above and beyond anything uh, that is noticeable or something that he would be awarded from an independent arbitrator. So I don't know what he's going to get. Again, we don't even know the numbers that the Penguins are offering versus what he's looking for. So we'll have to wait and see on that again. That is between July 20th and August 4th. We'll find out actual arbitration dates here probably in a week or so. But What that does do, and again, a reason why Penguins fans are probably very happy to hear this news of of Drew O'Connor filing for salary arbitration is, it opens up a second buyout window for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That would be a 48-hour buyout window beginning three days after the Drew O'Connor arbitration settlement ends. Whether there's a settlement, whether he's awarded something, at the end of that, if Drew O'Connor becomes a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins, which we all believe is likely and probably going to happen... Another buyout window for two days is opened up. 
Dubas stated that buyouts are his, quote, last resort. One of those times that he was talking to the media. However, the first window, I will say, was very shortly after he was hired. He didn't have much time to execute any trades. And the market, let's face it, was very early or very slow early in the summer anyways. Now that the draft and free agency are done with, he has a lot more time to see if he can offload a contract such as Mikhail Granlund. If he can do that, then yes. Of course, you want to offload it. You want to trade it. You want to get rid of that $5 million and not have anything on your books. Understandably so. But if he doesn't get to actually trade that contract, do you think that he will seriously revisit the opportunity to buy out Mikhail Granlin's contract? It, it would be hard to not revisit it, right? Every time we look at a, uh, a buyout option for... Mikhail Granlin, you look at it and you go, how have you not done it already? It's, I'm going to try and just pull it up again just because it's so, yeah, it, it saves you. He, so, because Mikhail Granlin makes $5 million annually against the cap. You're saving full, over $4 million of that in the first year. Mm-hmm. You only have to pay against the cap 800000 pretty much eight thirty three against mm-hmm. the cap. That's under a $1 million. And then, yeah, it's about $2 million for the next three seasons at 1.83 but that's an affordable deal especially if quote-unquote the cap is supposed to take a big jump next season i'll believe it when Mm -hmm. i see it but it's that's how much like you're saving that money regardless i it's a wonder like i get it yeah kyle dubas is right that should be a last resort option but when you're making when you're saving that much i mean i mean there's, I'd, I'd buy out a lot of players to save that much, not just Mikhail Granlund, right? Mm-hmm. It's And also, sure, you want to... You also do want to understand that that is a human being's life you're dealing with here and their you know, ability to still play the game and their family and then this, that, and the other. There's so much... like There's the personal side of it, but this is a business. And like I said, there's a lot of players I'd buy out to save $4 million for a team, right? Not only that, but... You mentioned the personal side of things. Mikhail Granlin's going to sign somewhere. Absolutely. If he's bought out and on the open market, he's going to sign somewhere. The only thing is, nobody wants to pay uh, whatever the trade cost would be to get Mikhail Granlin at $5 million. Because why would you? I mean, why did the Penguins? It made no sense, right? Chris Pryor shouldn't have another job in hockey. That's that's the takeaway. But like you mentioned, $833,000 for this year? That's a $4 million, over $4 million in cap savings this year. Even next year when it jumps up to 1.833, that's still over $3 million in cap savings next year. And then the following two years, yeah, you got you to eat the 1.833 when you wouldn't have had to do anything. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, before the last buyout window ended, we had this conversation. I said, I don't see them buying anybody out. And I was correct. This time around... I'm not so sure he survives another one because when you look at it, look at the instances and the aspects of what happened the first time Kyle Dubas was hired. He immediately went to prospect camp. He had a draft to prepare for. He had an entire roster that needed so many holes filled. Now that he has those holes filled, he's mentioned he's going to look at what's best for the team. He's going to try to improve in any way possible going forward. You can't tell me that, getting cap flexibility by getting rid of Mikhail Granlin isn't what's best for the team moving forward if he's not able to offload him in a trade. I I would say that if you're able to offload him and even if you have to retain 
of his salary, paying $2.5 million over the next two years is better than spreading it out through four. I would agree with that. But man, it would be hard unless he really believes in Mikhail Granlin performing much better. I mean, yes, I, I think it's pretty safe to say he's going to perform better next season than he did in the last 21. But performing up to that contract, I don't see that happening. So unless he truly believes that, he has to seriously consider buying out Mikhail Granlin whenever this other buyout window ends up opening, depending on Drew O'Connor's arbitration case. He does. And not only... Here's the other thing, too. Remember how I, we, kept, we just talked about how the Penguins lack a true third-line center? I, truthfully, I'd have Mikhail Granlin playing third-line center right now. I know that's probably a hot take, but if this, if this lineup well, goes forward... I just he might he just might bring more offense than Lars Eller and sorry I just keep going back to the offense on this bottom six. I mean at the moment, I mean period point blank. I don't think we could go into the next season with Mikael Granlund still on the roster, especially at that cap hit. You're right. Even spending two point five to not have it on your roster sounds a lot better than having the full five on there. But if he's here, I mean push. Give him the push. See if he can find something, right? And if it doesn't work, quickly pull him off. Like we, it, That's one of the benefits of having that sort of experiment early in the season. You got time to take him off, put back, put Lars Eller back in there, and then go. Um, if he's here, though, give him the push. Give him the opportunity to maybe find something, to maybe hit a new stride that he had, like, he had a couple seasons ago because... This is a he's a player that a couple seasons ago we would have been all over. All over Mikhail Granlin a couple seasons ago, right? Even at the price, maybe it was a little steep. But at the price, you're getting a, a couple seasons ago he was putting up 64 points, 53 of them assists, but you enjoy yeah. uh 64 points from your from a third line center. Sure. Abs- he wouldn't have gotten that, but yes. Hell no, but, but it's you're seeing what could be what could be brought here. Yeah. If he's still here come puck drop on the 23-24 season, I I'm, you know, hot take here. Put him on third line center, truthfully. Give him the push and give him the confidence to maybe build something while he's here. And if it doesn't work, you just pull him quickly. That's why you have an 82 game season to work with. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know where everyone else filters into now because you you have more centers than you need, but it's it's just something to give him that push and to maybe see what happens. And I get five points of 21 games is egregiously bad. Especially since it's one goal. A garbage time goal against the very bad Philadelphia Flyers. So, but see what you can do. Maybe something sparks. Maybe he finds some gel with, I mean, who's playing? I mean, where do we have Matt Nieto slotted in right now? Third line? Fourth line. Fourth line? I would I would have him at the fourth line. That's the problem, though, because if you do that, then you have Lars Eller, Nolachari, Matt Nieto as your fourth line. You're either forcing Jeff Carter on the third line, or it is Alex Nylander and Drew O'Connor. And again, th- you're falling back into the same trap you had last season, where, yeah, you, you would like some more offense than Lars Eller. And yes, Mikhail Granlin is a gifted passer of the hockey puck, but at the same time, it didn't work, and there's a reason you brought in Lars Eller. You didn't bring in Lars Eller and call him a key part of the offseason to be your fourth-line center. Mm-hmm. Like that, 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 that makes no sense. I understand what you're saying. Yes, Mikhail Granlin in the past put up 64 points, even though he was 
on the top power play unit. He was playing with, what, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, whoever. He's playing in the top six there. He's not going to sniff the top six, or at least shouldn't sniff the top six in Pittsburgh. But I just don't see the winger play around him to be able to make that a feasible line, especially with the trend that Kyle Dubas has shown where he's skewing defense on the bottom six. Like he's skewing, let's make sure we protect our own end and don't get hemmed in like the Pittsburgh Penguins bottom six did all of last season. The bottom six spent, I would like, you know, this is obviously being facetious, spent like 70% of the time in their own own zone. Like, Again, there's numbers to actually dispute that. I don't have them in front of me, but they were not in the offensive zone a whole heck of a lot last season. So one thing that he said is, I'm going to bring in some guys that are defensive-minded, that are smart with the puck, and that aren't going to get hemmed in their own zone. And if you build a line around Mikhail Granlin, that feels like you're going back in the opposite direction, and it doesn't feel right. But I want to get the final answer of something you just mentioned. Will Mikhail Granlin be on the team at the start of training camp if you had to say so right now? Probably. Is he on the team? Probably not. That's going to be the final answer to that. It's it, Genuinely, he probably shouldn't be. We look at that cap, it, it, that's just egregious for the lack of production he's bringing. And mm-hmm. especially if you're skewing defense for this bottom six, that's exactly the way you need to go. Okay, so then the other question I'll ask you is, does he get traded or does he get bought out in your eyes if if he's not on the lineup? I would say bought out. It, you have the second opportunity. It's going to save you more than retaining half. It's going to save you more than retaining half. Yeah, you have to pay it over a couple extra seasons. But again, if you believe that salary cap is supposed to take a jump, then you take that opportunity. I would say... That he's not on this lineup, not on this roster at the start of training camp. I would say he gets traded. Now that the dust has settled, I think there's a little bit more time as well for Kyle Dubas to find a trade partner. And again, this is just preliminary look. The Anaheim Ducks have $28 million in cap space. But they do have RFAs in Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry, Jamie Drysdale. They got to sign all of them. But even if they sign them each at $7 million, which is not going to happen, they'd still have $7 million in cap space. Even if the Penguins retain $2 million of that, you could offload Mikhail Granlin, get a little bit more f- flexibility, and bring somebody else in. Or just, here's a novel idea, carry that extra $3 million in cap space into the regular season. That'd be great too. So uh, I would say that, if I had to guess right now, Mikhail Granlin is not on the roster come training camp. We both said that. Your thought is bought out. My thought is traded. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on when Drew O'Connor's arbitration date is because that's when all this is going to go down if Mikhail Granlin's not traded by then. So we will have to wait and see. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we had a really fun listener question. That's three weeks in a row with a listener question. We love them. Keep sending them in. We'll keep discussing them, but we have a really fun one looking back on a hypothetical at the end of the Marc-Andre Fleury era. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, an affiliate of the hockey news we've loved the listener questions they've been great so far uh keep them coming like we said if you have a question you can still reach us via dm on twitter at iceberg podcast drop your question in there we might just answer it we so far we're three for three if you drop it in there there's a very good chance that we'll probably answer the question on the following week's show but this week's listener question comes to us from Juice speranza on twitter he asks if there wasn't an expansion draft in 2017 or in 2021, and the NHL was still at 30 teams, would Marc-Andre Fleury still be a Penguin to this day, even with the emergences of Matt Murray and Tristan Jari? It's, it's, I, I mulled over this question for a long time. Because <clears throat> it's... Damn, obviously, it's damn near impossible to answer. Yeah, it's a hypothetical. It's a, it, yeah. you, you, we wouldn't really know, but yes. I would still, I think I'd still fall on no, he wouldn't be, because you're you're assuming this kind of starts, we went back-to-back Stanley Cups with Matt Murray in net for both of the Stanley Cup clinching games. Mm-hmm. You understand that he is the younger, possibly at the moment, he ended up being the younger, the cheaper option in net. Now, as you... He, I'm, maybe Fleury sticks around for a couple extra seasons. I forget what his contract looked like at the time of the expansion draft. He had two years remaining at $5.25 million a year. So it's at it would be there where things get interesting. Because by the time Fleury's contract was coming to an end, I'm trying to align it in my head with where Matt Murray was. Matt Murray had just signed because remember, okay, here's where we were at. Yeah, I'll, I'll set the scene. I didn't, yeah, I didn't do uh, the as back it work into this. I just kind of thought about it. I got, I got the scene ready for you. The Pens who just won their second straight Stanley Cup, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Matt Murray and Fleury basically split the playoffs in half that year. Murray had just shut out the Nashville Predators in the Stanley Cup clinching game. In 2016-17 season, Matt Murray was 32-10-4 with a 9.23 save percentage and a 2.41 goals allowed average. Very good season for Matt Murray. Marc-Andre Fleury was 18-10-7 with a 9.09 save percentage and a 3.02 goals allowed average. But in the playoffs, they were very close. Fleury, 9-6, 9.24 save percentage. Matt Murray, 7-3 with a 9.37 save percentage. Murray had two years, or sorry, Flurry had two years remaining on his contract of five point two five million. Murray heading into that offseason was a restricted free agent and would later sign a three-year deal worth three point seven five million dollars. So that's where they were heading into that offseason. If that was the case and there was no Vegas Golden Knights coming to town, mm-hmm. there was no expansion draft on the horizon. Do the Penguins try to trade him in that offseason? Let's start there. So in that offseason, no. In that offseason, because we have, at least I believe, I don't know, I don't remember what the rest of the Penguins cap situation looked like or who we had to do I mean, this, that, and the other with. But in that offseason, I think we're going, we have two stout goalies that 
can prove to be winners. It's a solid 1A, 1B situation. Uh, and we're going to roll with that. It, you, I'm assuming we roll, roll with that at least until the end of Flurry's contract. Because what I was going to get into in my head was through this process of years going by, um, maybe we re-sign, maybe we, we re-sign Flurry as well. But at some point, I'm assuming that trade happens. I'm assuming this day. I'm assuming, you know, July 6, 2023, Flurry is no longer on the Penguins at this point because mm-hmm. he's going to be making all that money. Matt Murray was doing this, that, the other. But also, the flat cap world hit hit us. Yeah. Cove, I'm not taking COVID out of this equation. I'm not taking the cap stopping its rise out of this equation because at some point you're not going to be able to afford the two of them so eventually i would assume and also in this situation we're not giving murray the keys to the castle and saying you are now a full-time starter in this situation maybe matt murray is still a very good goalie we also don't know what kind of decline he gets because he's splitting time he's not taking over fully uh, so maybe he's still looked at as a reputable starter in this league. Uh, so I'm assuming at some point through the COVID years, we have no choice but to cut one loose. Mm-hmm. And it's the same result. It is the, you roll with the younger, cheaper option. So I would say eventually Flurry would have left, but not that summer. I think we would have played out the contract, re-signed Murray to some sort of different deal even maybe. Uh, and kept him around because those two playing together, like it was, that was a great season for the two of them. It obviously helped the Penguins all the way to a second straight Stanley Cup. So I would say, yeah, he sticks around a little longer. Uh, but eventually, because of the flat cap and age, you know, he also probably doesn't get the Vezina. There's a lot of revisionist history that goes into this that changes yeah. the trajectory, obviously. But I just think he stays for the time at that time, but eventually through the flat cap, through COVID, and through other just league changes, he eventually finds a new home. And who knows where that would have been. I think I, I do agree with you. I don't think he'd still be on the Pittsburgh Penguins as much as I'd like to think so because I, I really enjoyed Matt, Marc-Andre Fleury as a member of the Penguins. I do think they try, they would have tried to trade him that summer uh, because at that point, you know, even let, let's go back to February of that year. It had been known for months that he was being taken in the expansion draft. I don't think it would have changed to where, yeah, maybe if there's no expansion draft, he doesn't get taken there. But I think the Penguins at that moment, you see Tristan Jari lighting up the AHL. He made one start in the 2016-17 season, and he he looked pretty good at the NHL level. You also had Casey DeSmith coming up and playing pretty good at the AHL level at that point. So I think you look at what was behind him, and you say, okay, we have two years left at that moment on Marc-Andre Fleury's contract. I think that's the offseason you start to explore whether or not you end up trading him. The only uh, wrench in this plan here is Marc-Andre Fleury had a no-movement clause that he did waive in February to help the Pittsburgh Penguins have more flexibility to potentially either trade him at the deadline or trade him before the expansion draft and lose him for nothing. Well, once they won another set Stanley Cup and Matt Murray looked like the real deal, they said, you know what, we we don't mind losing Marc-Andre Fleury in the expansion draft because they wanted to keep the rest of the team intact. And the players that they signed because they had the cap space... Justin Schultz, Brian Dumlin signed that offseason. 
Connor Sherry signed that offseason. So if the Penguins, if there were no expansion draft, were to keep Marc-Andre Fleury, it would have cost them one of those three names. And I know looking back on it, you're like, yeah, I'd rather have the Hall of Fame goaltender that won a Vesna, won a Jennings Trophy, was phenomenal in his first year. Again, is that the goaltender that you have? You brought up a great point. What does he look like? Because at the end of his career in Pittsburgh, take out the phenomenal run in the postseason. He was looked at as the backup goaltender. And for good reason, the performance had been there. And the Penguins, yes, had won back-to-back Stanley Cups. But going into the second Stanley Cup run, Marc-Andre Fleury hadn't performed in the playoffs since really like 2009? Maybe a couple of off seasons where, or post seasons where he was okay between then, but they didn't really find a lot of success with Marc Andre Fleur as their number one starter. So while yes, Murray then had a down year in 2017 18, he was stellar again in 2018 19, which would have been Fleury's contract year. So even if Fleury made it to the end of his contract, I still think they would have chosen Murray over Fleury. Yeah. And also, an interesting little footnote into this is truly, and I think it was brought up in the question. Tristan Jari's emergence in the minors as well. I don't yeah. know how much... I don't know, in this situation, we obviously don't know how much of a push Jari gives these guys. Uh, we don't know if he even you know causes any sort of ripple effect. But um, in the 17-18 season, if we're getting into it, Jari played 26 games. His first... Not obviously not first full-time stint in the NHL, but first consistent... He, he got his... Real good taste after, you know, one game the previous season. He played 26 games. It was 14-6-2. I mean, for a 22-year-old replacement goalie, that's not bad at all. Um, and it's interesting to see if that season may have given him a little bit of a boost into what this team wanted to see from their goaltending. And the way Jari plays into this is interesting. I just don't feel... I feel like eventually, maybe down the line, I feel like it's weird just because I feel like maybe we would have still wound up with Murray and Jari, just not in 2020 the way we did. Maybe it would have been 21, 22. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pin down. I'm yeah without like the contract years and the numbers and the everything in front of me and just the. And just the way the world changed through all of this, uh, it's a little bit harder to put into perspective. But I would say eventually we get down to Murray and Jari, but who knows if that's happening. Who knows if if there is no expansion draft. We're holding on to Flurry through all this. Who knows if we're heading into the 23-24 season with Murray and Jari. Yeah, there's a real possibility. I mean... You never know what could have happened for Matt Murray if he could have still played with Marc-Andre Fleury being his mentor behind him. Who knows what would happen with Tristan Jara if he was allowed to play in the minors a little bit longer and marinate a little bit longer because 22 is very young for goaltenders in this league at this point to come up. If he would have been given another season, season and a half, two seasons at the AHL level, what kind of goaltender would he have been? Mm -hmm. Like, Would that have stunted his growth or would that have made him much better because he was kind of with the Marc-Andre Fleury departure at the expansion draft. He was kind of forced into that role. The Penguins didn't want him to be the backup heading into that season. Hence the reason they signed anti Niemi. Now Niemi was a, an unmitigated disaster, which again forced Tristan Jari to become the number two guy and play the 26 games that you mentioned. So 
what happens in all these scenarios. It's fascinating to think about, but I do think that as far as the overall question is concerned, we both agree Marc-Andre Fleury at this moment in time would, would not be a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, it wouldn't have made it this far, and I'm going to cut my audio now while they start sawing above the room. This is going great. Okay, well, we are getting close to the end here, but the one thing I wanted to pull out, um, just because, you know, hindsight, revisionist history, it's all great. Uh, and just to highlight exactly where Tristan Jari and Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury have gone on the path that actually did occur, Marc-Andre Fleury has played the most games out of all of those goaltenders. 294 games played since he left for Vegas. 9.14 save percentage, 2.57 goals against average, 29 shutouts, and 47 goals saved above expected. Not to mention the Jennings Trophy, a Vezina Trophy, and made it to a Stanley Cup final in the 2017-18 season with the Vegas Golden Knights. Matt Murray played 210 games, so 84 games less than Marc-Andre Fleury. Had a 9.06 save percentage. There's a eight-point drop in that. A 2.93 goals against average. Jump in that in the wrong direction. 10 shutouts. Yikes. And negative 13.4 goals saved above expected in that time. Over 50 goals saved above expected difference. And then there's Tristan Jari. Played the least out of all three of these guys. 205 games. So five less than Matt Murray. Identical save percentage to Marc-Andre Fleury, 914, 240, or 264 goals against average, just about a 0.08% difference to Marc-Andre Fleury, 13 shutouts, more than Murray, less than Fleury, and 31.5 goals saved above expected. So Jari, I will say this, while at the end of the day, yes, Fleury outperformed Murray when he left, but Jari's outperformed Murray as well, outperformed Murray as well since that departure of Marc-Andre Fleury. So it might have hurt them to lose Fleury, and he might have went on to do great things. But look on the bright side. They made the right call in going with Jari over Murray. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all knew that one, especially as it was happening. Uh, we wanted to see Tristan Jari start in the bubble. I mean, we wanted to see... I mean, he got one start, and they lost, what, one to nothing? Yeah, he, and he was argu arguably the best player in that game. So. Yeah. Yeah, nobody, nobody came to play in that game, and it sucked because it was August 7th. It was Crosby's birthday, yep. and he no-showed. Yeah, it was an unmitigated disaster in the bubble, but it is what it is. Yep. Well, thank you once again to Drew Speranza for sending in that question. Reminder, if you want to send in a listener question, if you have a question for the show, DM us at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter. We'll probably answer it next week or the following week whenever you send it uh, depending on when our show schedule actually is but thank you for that love looking back at Marc-Andre Fleury and the, one of the most interesting decisions in the history of the Pittsburgh Penguins the interesting times the the departure of at that moment and probably still the greatest goaltender in Penguins franchise history we had that discussion with him between him and Tom Barrasso a couple weeks ago when Barrasso was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame but I mean one or two depending on Who's looking at the answer? I, I would probably say Marc-Andre Fleury, and I think you would as well. We had that discussion a couple weeks ago. But that's going to be it for this episode of The Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 